The following program is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas and is also available at recordinglibrary.org. Thanks for joining us on Free Speech. Basically, this is just a sit-down with some of the leaders in our community. We're hoping to get a little peek as to who they are, not only politically, but personally as well. Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, everybody's welcome here. Because at the end of the day, no matter what your political affiliation, we're all nothing more than a few people just trying to sit down and figure out how to make the world a better place. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to Free Speech, and today we have an extra special guest. We've had a lot of uh, judges in, but today we have Congressman Mike Conway. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your program. We're glad to have you. Now, you must be very tired. You doing a lot of traveling? This job is so exhilarating that you just stay on a constant adrenaline high all the time. (laughs) That's fantastic. I, uh, you know, I rest coming home on the airplane and then get you end up going back. I got home last night about... uh, uh, I got in about twelve thirty, quarter one, uh, from DC, wow. and so uh, spending the next couple of days uh, around the district doing all that kind of stuff. Head back on Sunday, so anyway, it's an like exhilarating fun. job, and uh, I really don't get tired. I know that may sound put on or put up or something, but I don't. It sounds like you're gloating is what it sounds like because I'm tired right now. I just got in from Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel great. So yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, just personally. Uh, so you, I grew up in uh, Odessa. Uh-huh. Uh, my family, uh, actually born in Borger, Texas, and, and uh, moved. my family moved to Odessa when I started the second grade. So graduated from Odessa Permian, um, went to East Texas State, which is now A&M Commerce, mm-hmm. majored in accounting, graduated, went to Worth Price Waterhouse, got drafted uh, into the uh, U.S. Army, served as an MP in the Army, and then when I went, got out of the Army, or got out of the service and went back to work at Price Waterhouse. Um, married a high school sweetheart kind of thing, and uh, she and I had two boys. Nice. Uh, moved to Midland in uh, in mid seventy nine because I wanted to coach little league, Aww. and uh, you can't coach little league in Dallas and work for Bryce Waterhouse because of the traffic and everything else. So oh. I was able to to work the CPA you know crazy hour thing there, and yet still take time to to uh, coach little league. Cool. Um, yeah, this is a long time ago, but but uh, the Julie, my first wife, passed of leukemia in nineteen eighty seven. And then uh, God brought a terrific lady into my life about four years later named Suzanne. And uh, her husband had been killed in a plane crash. And so uh, she had two daughters. I had two sons. And we then became like a mini Brady Bunch, if you guys remember the the Brady Bunch show. We were short a couple of kids. And and more importantly, we were short Alice. Um, Alice was the the glue that held that whole Brady Bunch. Oh, yes. And and so Suzanne was always looking for Alice. She said, look, we got this Brady Bunch, folks. How come we don't have an Alice to go with the... (laughs) You uh, need one. You need one. Absolutely. It's necessary. Um, uh, After I left Price Waterhouse, I was in the oil business for a while. George Bush and I were business partners for five years in the oil business. And then uh, uh, when we we sold the company, I went to work at a bank. Uh, He then became governor a few years later appointed me to a state board that oversees the practice of accountancy in Texas. It's a volunteer job, but I did it for uh, seven and a half years. That got me involved with the Texas legislature. And uh, I began to thinking about running for either the state Senate seat or the U.S. House seat that represented us. At that time, Midland, Odessa, and Lubbock shared a, a, a House seat. Uh, and I really thought that, uh, that Larry Combest, who was the current congressman then, would uh, serve for a long time. He was chairman of the Ag Committee, getting 90% of the vote. Right. But our state senator, a guy named Chill Bivens, had begun to kind of noodle around a little bit about maybe not running at some point. And so I thought, if that 
If Till doesn't run at some point in time, I'm going to run for that seat. Gotcha. Well, 2002 election, Combest got 90% of the vote. A week later, announced that he was going to retire in May of, of 03. And uh, I, Suzanne and I were in uh, Hong Kong. I was at a uh, World Congress of Accountants. By that point in time, I was chairman of the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy. Mm-hmm. And they had me over in Hong Kong, a, a, a gathering of 5,000 accounting leaders from around the world. Wow. Exactly. My sentiments. You must have been <laughs> So think about this. 5,000 accountants. If you could have converted the collective charisma to gunpowder, <laughs> we couldn't get that door down. So, nevertheless, among ourselves, we just, we're a riot. So I get the Internet pop that, that Combus is not going to run for election. And so I'm calling back over here. It's 12-hour differential. So at 2 o'clock in the afternoon there, it's 2 a.m. here. And I'm waking people up and saying, hey, I think I want to do this. And, and so uh, there were 17 people ran in that special, uh, 10 Republicans, a Tea Party, I mean, a, a Democrat, a couple of Democrats, the Green Party, mm-hmm. his constitutions. Some guy that never showed. He just put his name on the ballot and, and didn't show. De- never did uh, anything. <laughs> Who uh, does that? I don't. Well, he just wanted to say he ran for Congress. But anyway, uh, I lost in a runoff to Larry, to uh, to Randy Nagerbauer from Lubbock, and uh, and that was the year two thousand three. Then that. Uh, Texas was was going through a redraw of its congressional map in Austin, led by our own Tom Craddock. And uh, they redrew the map, uh, created a seat that someone from Midland could be competitive in. I just happened to have been at the right spot at the right time. Uh, I had continued. I knew that was happening, so I pretty much thought it would be Middle Odessa and San Angelo. So I would continue to start working in San Angelo because that was new to the district. I didn't know what other counties would be in the in the district. And uh, by October, November of 2003, the map got set, created District 11. I was in the right spot at the right time. I ran in the 04 election and uh, and won. So I've been serving in Congress since then. Um, I'm on the uh, Agriculture Committee, House mm-hmm. uh, Committee on uh, Armed Services, as well as the Select Committee on, on Intelligence. I actually chair the House Ag Committee. I've previously chaired the Ethics Committee for uh, for two years, and I'm now in my fourth year chairing the House Ag Committee. So I had wow. a really good run. And uh, I hope, uh, based on the election next Tuesday night, that I can continue this run to serve the uh, folks in, in District 11. I've been able to put together an incredibly good team here in the district of uh, constituent service workers that, that uh, you know, we've got six district offices around the district, runs all the way to Granbury, all the way down to Lano, that, uh, that take care of people every day. And uh, I get this immense gratitude or satisfaction, quite frankly, out of all the hard work that they do. If you're having trouble with the IRS or or Social Security, or VA, or you know, INS, whatever it is that's going on, right. then uh, and you're kind of getting your wits in. Well, you you can come to us, and we'll go to work on your behalf. And I use that that uh, royal we because it's done by the staffers across this district that make that right. happen. And they do great work, and so uh, I'm really proud of them. And that and that that makes a difference. You know, the stuff I do in D.C. I've got to have 217 friends in the House. I got to have 60 friends in the Senate. I got to have a president that'll sign it. So. Pretty hard, you know, heavy lift to make something happen there. Yeah, definitely. But day in and day out here in the district, the the folks who work the district, they're helping somebody every day, make their lives just a little less difficult, and and that's uh, that's really pretty cool stuff. So right. Kind of the the you know long winded story, but there it is. No, yeah, I get definitely. the feeling that somebody has asked you to tell a little bit about yourself before. Yeah, you've done this before. Yeah, you've uh, done it before. Yeah, yeah, and and I've got one thing to take from that entire story. Go Odessa Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, nice. I, I so in, in uh, full affair disclosure, I played on Permian's first state championship team uh-huh. in 1965, 
And then we beat OHS for the next almost 30 years in a row. Oh, you want to bring up old stuff. I see <laughs> how it is. That. You started it. Statistics, <laughs> man. Statistics. So, so Congressman, uh, some people don't really understand what a congressman or congresswoman does. Would you explain in layman's terms what your role is? So our constitution that uh, was written 230 years ago and created this representative republic that you and I have enjoyed and lived under and taken for granted uh, has a three branches. Mm-hmm. as an executive branch led by the president. A legislative branch that we it's bicameral in the sense that there's a Senate uh, that is elected in one format and a House of Representatives elected under different. Right. And then you have a judicial branch that's uh, that's led by the Supreme Court. Right. And so I get to serve on the uh, in the legislative branch in the House of Representatives. Uh, this is a little little known fact. It is the only uh, the only way you can get into the House of Representatives is by election. Right. You can become president of the United States and never run for office. It's possible. Right? You can be appointed all the way up that chain to get to be president. You cannot get in the House except by election. So that's a bit of a point of pride. With that. You can be appointed senator, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the only way you get there is to be elected. We run every two years, serve two-year terms. The senators right. have six-year terms. There are two per state on the Senate. The House of Representatives are portioned based on the number of people, the population of the country, divided up as a stage, divided by the 435 members that uh, they get to serve there. Our primary role is to write laws that comport with the Constitution, that, uh, that deal with federal issues uh, across a broad spectrum of things. We break that work up into committees. Uh, I think there are like some 2021 committees. There's a committee on agriculture, a committee on armed services, a committee right. on VA, a committee on ways and means. So you begin to – when you get there, you pick committees to be on where you, or you get picked to be on committees. And then uh, you try to become a relatively sub- subject matter expert in that arena because no one has the, the bandwidth to be a subject matter expert on everything. Obviously. And so you, you, I'm, I'm armed, armed services, ag, and uh, intelligence. You know, we've got guys on ways and means and appropriation and other kind of stuff. So you begin to rely on each other. You know who – uh, who on the, the other committees you can trust their judgment because you're watching each other all the time, right? Uh, to try to say right, we're gonna we're gonna take a vote on something that that I'm not as familiar with as they are. It can be kind of a clicky business, then. Well, it is, and it's important <laughs> because it's a it's based on trust, uh, built on trust. It's built on doing your homework, built on when people ask you what what uh, how you're going to vote, you need to have a good reason why, and right. it, it better be consistently uh, th- across a set of principles, and so. Um, those laws then have to be passed in the Senate, uh, and if it's different, if the version is in the Senate is different from the version in the House, then a conference committee gets reported, and uh, all the differences have to be worked out. So the exact same bill, complete with misspelled words, punctuation errors, whatever, Everything. then passes both houses, sent to the president, and then the president has an independent decision. Does he sign it? It becomes a law. Does he veto it? Mm-hmm. Makes it start over, whatever. And so that's the process I get to serve in the uh, in the House of Representatives, and it's a it's job. a really high honor. Here's a little factoid: uh, there have been fewer than two hundred and fifty, two or three human beings who've had the high honor of representing Texas in the House of Representatives. Really, you think about the twenty six really? million people who live here now, the millions and millions who've lived here since eighteen forty five. Fewer than two fifty five have uh, served. I was elected. I was two thirty nine. Huh. Uh, my class, there were six of us in my class of, uh, of uh, new members, uh, seven if you count, uh, yeah, six counting uh, Henry Quare. Mm-hmm. So that took it to 245. I claim 239 as, as everybody else in, the, <laughs> in that group of six. But uh, uh, anyway, it's a really high honor to get to serve. You know, the, the, what hurts 
is that it's a worthy rep, uh, institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 grounded in our constitution. It's a part of how we do what we do. And when my colleagues do things that bring disgrace to the to the house, when we Mm-hmm. You know, people say things negatively about the House based on the people that are doing it, the, right. all kinds of stuff. It hurts because the the House of Representatives is a, is one of the highest honors you could possibly do is serve there. Because and, you take uh, such great pride in what you do. I and do. Texas do. is your it's baby. Just, yeah. It is, you know. And, and, and so when I see my colleagues, and we've had a bunch of Republicans and a bunch of Democrats this year who've, who've let their personal standards slip, do things that embarrass them personally, but they also embarrass the House of Representatives. It just it really hurts to have that. The house's reputation hurt, even though it's populated by 435 people, just good human beings, some knuckleheads, right. and all that kind of good right. stuff. But it's pretty representative of our country as a whole yeah. is, uh, is in that 435. Yeah. Now, just so uh, our listeners know, how many terms have you served? I'm in my seventh term. Uh, 14, finished, I'm in the middle of my 14th year. 14th year. <clears throat> wow. How have things changed now compared to when you first got in? The, it's more divisive now. Social media has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger, more impactful. Uh, the anonymity of many of these platforms allow people, the worst of people, to come out. Uh, you just read through some Twitter feeds. Yeah. And <laughs> that, that good old Twitter. People just saying some of the, you know, if they've got their personal name on it, the real name on it, they're, they're a little less uh, spiteful, vindictive, or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, our country's divided. And, uh, and you know, the, the people gripe about the House of Representatives not being able to get anything done. But truth right. of the matter is the House members are downstream from their constituents. I'm trying to go up there and represent the 700-plus thousand people who live in District 11. I'm trying to right. listen to them, find out what they want to do, what they want done, how they would do it if they had the voting card, all those kind of good things. And our country is, you know, and, and I'm, no, I'm no different than the other 434. They're up there trying to represent their, their constituents. Their constituents were telling them things. I couldn't get elected in Nancy Pelosi's district. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. she has protesters in front of her district offices and house because they believe she's too conservative. Really? Which, yeah. Okay, that's the exact that's that's surprising. response I got as well. Um, <laughs> that's surprising. You know, I had to stop and think about that for exactly, a second. Exactly. So wow. um, when you see the, the, the split votes, when you see the, the you know, going back and forth at each other, it is, it's grounded in what our constituents are telling us and what they want done. I'm blessed to be able to represent a pretty homogeneous group. Donald Trump got 77% of the vote, which is the, mm-hmm. like the second highest in the country. And so, you know, the, the, I hear a lot of get a lot of support and a lot of uh, you know backing from uh, things that I that I want to get done. I had a big, a good conversation a while ago with a lady who's a Democrat. She says, you know, Mr. Conway, I never vote for you, but I appreciate the fact that you'll listen to me and and will talk to me and be polite to me. And I said, well, you know, we get elected as Republicans and Democrats. I serve. All seven, I serve the two-year term I get, representing all 700,000. Doesn't matter if you voted for me or not. That's irrelevant. Once I win the election, then it's irrelevant. I'm your, you rep, your member of Congress, them. and I owe you as much representation whether you voted for me or not. And I work hard to, to, to convey that to my team as well as live that standard myself. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you've served seven terms. Uh, you get, you're up for re-election every two years. Yes. What do you believe – attributes to your success and the fact that you have been able to serve for seven terms. What is it about you that people seem to like? Uh, just handsome guy. Uh, <laughs> now, anybody who's seen my picture know that I have a face for radio. So um, That's why I'm here. <laughs> 
No, it's a combination of a lot of things. As I mentioned earlier, I've put together an incredible good team here in the district. And so every time we have a positive interaction, one of the constituent service folks has a positive interaction with a, with a, with a, uh, a constituent, they're more likely to be looked favorably on me the next election than otherwise. And so that goodwill is built every single day. Um, my, uh, the, we do two events, two public events every year in every county. So we got 29 counties, so there's 58 events in, in across the, di- the district. Evan Thomas, district director, is responsible for tracking that and make sure that we uh, – and, and one of those events is a town hall. Mm-hmm. I've conti- you know, the town halls have kind of fallen out of favor because they get pretty rowdy and that kind of stuff. True. We've committed to con- – continue to commit to doing face-to-face live town halls where anybody can show up. Uh, I did one uh, in Brownwood in uh, uh, last April, just after I'd been appointed to lead the Russia investigation. Right. Um, and Brownwood, Texas, showed up there. Um, the New York Times sent a reporter. She was being followed by a camera crew that was following her, following me. Uh, we had uh, a, a Showtime crew there with a couple of cameras. We had mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of network folks there. It was just it was a pretty rowdy deal. Almost outnumbered the constituents who came to the town hall meeting. Yeah, um, and then we went to DeLeon that afternoon. And, uh, DeLeon or Dublin? DeLeon. Dublin, Dublin. That afternoon, <laughs> the crowd followed me over there. They really did outnumber the crowd there. But uh, so, yes, work in the district, you know, never really getting out of campaign mode. Uh, and because the last thing I want anybody to ever say, well, last time you were here was two years ago when you uh, were asking for our vote. I would just mm-hmm. cringe if somebody said that because we work really hard to try to be around, be open. Um, my family has learned to, to, to when I'm in, we're at a restaurant someplace and somebody comes up and wants to talk. When I first got elected, they would very politely put their fork and knife down and sit and listen to the conversation while their food got cold. Um, they pretty much understood that I'm going to stand there and talk to those people no matter what's going on with the food. Keep eating. So they just keep, keep eating. eating. Exactly. Oh, that's just dad. He's just right. you know, he's yapping over there with some, right. with some constituents. <laughs> I try to maintain a, an open persona so that folks see me out and about. They know they can come up to me because, um, you know, I get up every morning. I know whose payroll I'm on. Yours. And if I'm in the district, I'm on the clock. Doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Doesn't matter what a time, what time it is. Part of my job is listening to people, hearing what they say, uh, trying to understand as best I can their perspective on whatever the issue is going on. And I think that helps me do my job better. I think it also helps me get reelected because people, you know, see that I'm trying to work the system as the the way they would work it if they were. uh, if they were my slot. And they definitely you remember personal interactions. You said you weren't tired and <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired listening <laughs> to How? this. You're in a position where uh, a <laughs> see in my job I don't get questioned a whole lot. People are like, Oh yeah, that's what you do and uh even my boss here lets me pretty much do what I do. You in your position get questioned for every single decision you make Everything. from every single angle. How do you always have a way to explain yourself. <laughs> well, you know, that's part of the exhilaration and in, in the, in the adrenaline rush. You do a town hall, as an example, no idea what's going to be questioned you. Yeah. You have no idea, which is really part of the buzz because it's like, all right, we're going to go in there and, you know, somebody might want to talk about ISIS or somebody else might want to talk about the Russian investigation. Somebody else might mm-hmm, want to talk mm-hmm. about, you know, that ADA bill that was passed recently that we got yes, some pushback yes. on. So the, the, and we, we are going to get to that. Okay, we definitely want to get to both of those, actually. And I appreciate I hope we I hope we do because I need to visit with you guys about that. But but uh, so it's intellectually stimulating uh, to the max. And uh, 
And it's just, you know, you, you feed off of people, their energy level and that kind of stuff. Right. And then at D.C., you're, you know, you're going 90 miles an hour because I'm going to vote on some things today that I'm, I don't know as much about it as I would like to, but they're going to set the clock t- at 15 minutes, and i got to vote one way or the other. So yep. you're constantly behind the eight balls. So, all right, I got to catch up, got to catch up, got to catch up. And, you know, you just want, like I said earlier, on a constant adrenaline rush in D.C., whether it's the, the buzz of trying to figure out what I'm going to vote on, how, you know, how, what's the deal, future legislation. I've got a farm bill that's going on right now, which will be the biggest single piece of legislation that I personally will shepherd through the system. That's going big time. I've got this rush investigation that's going on. I'm trying to get that done and, and, uh, right. and brought to a close as well. And so you just – you just feed off the off the uh, uh, of what you're trying to get done. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the Russian investigation. A lot of Absolutely. a lot of people have a lot of questions, and I would imagine you can't give a lot of answers. But tell us in your own words what exactly is going on with this situation. So we're looking at four questions: what the Russians did or didn't do, what they did with the campaigns, what the uh, you know what the, what was the federal government's response, and what should we do. And uh, and we're try, I'm trying to keep it narrowly focused on just that. There are some ancillary things that are going on, unmasking, the memo that went out as as a result of the FISA thing that's going on. So Mm -hmm. all that is somebody else's responsibility. I'm trying to keep focused on the questions that we're supposed to answer. So we've been interviewing lots of people. We've been looking at thousands of documents. We've been going through the whole investigative process. Um, Ultimately, we will write a report. There will be some folks who like it, some folks who hate it. (laughs) Um, There will be – I'm hopeful that I can get cleared uh, for – for release as much of the underlying data as I can, the testimony, all this kind of stuff, because you'll have my conclusion. But if folks want to dig into it, I want them to listen, in effect, what I heard. You know, what did right. we asked this question? This is the answer we got. They're under oath. They're supposed to tell us the truth. They've got no way of, you know, screwing their thumb to a table just to make sure they did it. <laughs> and so we're going to try to under, you know, as much of the underlying uh, information as I can. When I took up the, uh, I was asked to take this up, I made a conscious decision to not go on television. And I have given no TV interviews at all uh, directly related to this issue. And the only things I've said, perhaps on local TV, was we're doing a thorough investigation. We're working as hard as we can. We're going to do it the way it needs to get done. Right. I don't. I didn't think, given that I voted for Trump, I didn't think I could do a lot of uh, public stuff, a lot of yapping around, or being around the, the president or anything else, and try to maintain some level of objectivity with the with the with the public. Right. Um, you know. So we've got to been very careful to never be around the president in any kind of a setting where it would look like I was talking to him about anything. I mean, from, from silly stuff like not going to the to the White House and, and having my picture taken at the Christmas picture made at the Christmas party to the the the, the, the picnic that's in the spring or the, in the summer. Uh, I have just not been around the president, and so because well, I didn't want media to pick up a picture of that. Say, there's Conway he's over there, you know, cooking the books with the president on that no. Russian investigation. So right. been very careful about that. I wanted to be seen by my colleagues and by the public as being as even-handed as I could. So you've not had me out there preliminarily deciding this or this or announcing that. Now, the same can't be said for my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. When I took up the reins of the, of the deal last April, I went to my colleagues on the other side and said, let's get off. Let's, y'all been on TV too much. I'm not going to go on TV. Get off of TV. And let's just do this the old-fashioned way. Hard work, sweat, and stay off TV. Well, I stuck by mine. They disagreed. They've been on TV the top, you know, constantly since. How'd that work out for them? Well, it's not working out well because they, they, they look pretty silly because every time they say that something's done happened, when new evidence comes out, they, well, that might not have been the case. So I think we should yeah. avoid all of that until we get it all done and then roll it out and, uh, and, and move that forward. So I, you know, I can't share with you and your listeners a lot 
about what's going on other than right. to know that we're interviewing everybody that we believe needs to be interviewed. Uh, we're gathering all that information and, and, and investigation. We're doing it in a thorough, professional manner. I'll write a report. That report will have to be declassified so that it can be then released to the public. Right. And uh, those are the next steps. Do you know about how long we can expect for that to take, for this report to be declassified? Got, it'll, you know, unfortunately, it'll take as long as it takes. Uh, I've got, yeah. you know, you schedule an interview and, and you're all set to have it. And the day before they call and say, well, my lawyer's dog ate his briefcase. And so, uh, <laughs> we know how that is, don't we, Chris? Oh, so, we do. You know, so you really can't peg it. But uh, just know that I'm driven to get this thing done as quickly as possible. Sarah, do you have any questions? I do. I actually would like to shift, if we could, to the ADA bill that you were talking about earlier. Um, uh, You may or may not know, most of our audience is primarily disabled, so obviously the ADA affects them very personally. So so we definitely want to talk about your work with the ADA and the HR 620. And um, so uh, as a sponsor, you obviously have valuable information. So since the ADA has been in place for about 30 years, some people are asking questions as to why some companies still haven't complied at this point. So – well. Uh, and exactly right. And so should those companies been in business for 30 years? That's right, exactly. right, well, We've right. had a lot of folks who weren't in business or are brand new, new for you know, just Some, yes, so yes, yes, absolutely. The abuses that was going on. All of us want the, the, the spirit of the ADA uh, law, uh, accessibility, you know, all those kind of good things that's right. met. And it's just who we are as a people. There is a group of, of uh, shyster lawyers. Mm. And it's just that's well all put, to it. Well put. Um, <laughs> that well are using Google Earth and other things. There's one group out of Florida, particularly, to look at a facility, uh, file suit, extort money from them, force them to go with lawyers, uh, with no intention of actually remedying whatever it is that was out of out of code. They're just it's, trying to get them flustered. That, well, that they just want the money. Right. They right. they'll say, all right, you will give me ten grand and we'll go away. Yeah. Well, that's not the spirit of the deal. Right. We want people to comply. We want them to get fixed, whatever it is that's not working or, or it's not up to code or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But those folks ought to have a chance some period of time to get that done before they had to go to the lawsuit piece. So what we're trying to do is, is walk that fine line between saying, look, we've got standards under ADA as to what access needs to look like, whether it's for the blind or hearing impaired, whatever it might right, be, right. that's the issue. And you're going to meet those standards. And, and most Folks want to. There's. I don't find a lot of folks out there say, nope, I don't want that curb cut in there because I don't want those folks in wheelchairs to have to fight their way up. But you're trying to also keep in mind that you know these are private business owners, people who need uh, a little and, bit of time. Many of, them, many of them limited resources. Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to get compliance. Well, that ought to be the first bite is, all right, here's a, here, this appears to be a violation. Let's figure out what you need to do to get it compliance and then give you some period of time to get the permits, to go to the city, do all the mechanics of zoning and and, uh, uh, whatever you've got to do to make that happen to get it fixed. If you bow your neck and say, no, you're not going to do it, absolutely. The court system is there, and then there's a way to step in. So what we're trying to do is – I'm sorry. Is there there an exact date that this all has to be done? And I should know a little bit more about this. I'm sorry, I don't. uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but there should be some window that stays any kind of a lawsuit that gives – uh, the restaurant tour is an example. And a lot of these were, were small restaurants, mom and pop restaurants, uh, husband and wife restaurants kind of thing where mm-hmm. they've got some little something out of whack that's legitimately out of whack. They didn't know about it. They thought it was within the code. They're you know, trying to make run a business, that kind of stuff. Right. They should have some period of time to fix that. So as the bill moves forward, the Senate version, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we'll be able to fine-tune those kinds of things where they're, uh, to make sure that we've got a, a process in place and say we're going to get compliance. And, but we're going to give you a chance first to do it voluntarily, 
and and make that happen. And then we always have the court system. We always have the law enforcement, everything like that, to come at you in a more forceful way. But there should be some period of time where you can get it fixed. Right. And that's the goal is to get these things fixed, not to not to create wealth for lawyers and not to extort money from folks that could otherwise been used to fix the problem in the first place. What what time. what is the next step? It, say we have you know obviously we're going to have businesses who do not comply in the given amount of time that they are allotted. What is the next step for them? That, that hadn't changed. It's the exact same re- remedy that's there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, suit can be brought against them, and, and they can then be forced through uh, the court system to, uh, to come in compliance or suffer whatever fi- fines or penalties associated with being out of compliance. Right. So all this is all we did with this bill, all we're trying to do with this bill, was to you know uh, allow folks an opportunity to fix whatever it was. Before they got, you know, tied up with lawyers and, and and legal suits and extortion coming from these out-of-state lawyers that were coming after, you know, small businesses here in Midland. I have one specific example of uh, of a restaurant tour here where that was happening too, and there are lots of others here in Midland where they just, you know, they get uh, a lawsuit filed at them out of out of out of the you know clear blue sky mm-hmm. based on a Google Earth picture, and rather than give them time to fix the issue, they're pushing trying and so well, you give us ten grand, we'll let this go away, whether you fix it or not. Well, I don't think that was the intent of ADA was no. to allow the enrichment of, of lawyers who who aren't interested in getting something fixed but are interested in extorting money. So I know there's tension there. We had some you know had some protesters on the House floor that day. We took that vote. Uh, that is not the intent to weaken ADA. It's just to allow better, uh, more common sense compliance with how we get people into into compliance, which is what everybody wants. Yeah, because you represent both the restaurant owner and those who are being supported by the ADA. So oh, everybody needs yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah. No, that's right. And and those two, those aren't at conflict. Right. And if the restaurant tour says, nope, I'm not going to do that, all the existing remedies that have been there for 30 years Mm -hmm. are still there. Right. So that hasn't been weakened at all. I gotcha. Well, well, let's shift over to the 2018 Farm Bill. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's uh, labor of love. And uh, the biggest piece of legislation that I will will, will uh, shepherd through the system. So you're a big All supporter right. of the farmers, then, um, big time. Well, As if everybody me, didn't already know that. Anybody who eats, uh, anybody who eats, ought to be a supporter of the farmers. Absolutely. So three years of uh, being at, I've been chairman for three years. I've known this moment was coming. So we've uh, prepped for three years to get there. We've had over 110 hearings. We've had 21 hearings on SNAP alone the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're ready to, to write the bill. I've got a draft in my uh, uh, in my uh, 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 backpack right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm getting pretty close. We've got uh, uh, next week the uh, the ranking member and I, Colin Peterson, who's also a CPA, by the way. We're the only, the only committee in Congress led by two CPAs is the Ag Committee. Right. And so uh, he and I will sit down next week and begin to work out those final uh, top-level de- decisions that have got to be made. Uh, shortly thereafter, we'll give the language to all the committee members, let them begin to, to chew on it and understand what we're doing. I'll bring it to the committee for a, a, a markup. Uh, that markup will last uh, you know, more, maybe a day or more. Uh, we'll entertain every single amendment that's there. The committee will work its will. Uh, once it passes out of committee, uh, if it does, I'm pretty confident it will, then uh, a week or so later we'll go to the floor and get it passed. So the farm bill for the, the, the folks that uh, – uh, aren't directly involved in production agriculture or SNAP, includes two broad areas. One is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and I'll speak to that in a second. The other is um, uh, the, the income support programs, crop insurance, uh, commodity or uh, uh, conservation, rural development, trade, uh, all these other titles. And so mm-hmm. uh, we've been working uh, to get them both right. Um, 
uh, you know, we've got a limited amount of resources to, uh, to to spread across this deal. The bulk of those resources go to SNAP. In previous years, uh, the folks have tried to reform SNAP. They started with how much money do they want to not spend. In other words, this is what's projected mm-hmm. to spend. Let's spend less than that. Go find a policy that does that. Well, that's wrongheaded. So we've spent three years, 21 hearings, all kind of stuff, figuring out what's the right policy, what works, what doesn't work. Are there moral hazards associated? Are there trapping mm-hmm. mechanisms there? What can we do to have a success story that was described incredibly well by a young woman who, who came to one of our listing sessions? We did six listing sessions around the country uh, last year. A young woman stood up at a microphone, incredibly brave, and said, I'm the reason you want to keep SNAP going. She said, I was a single mom, 18-year-old single mom of a three-year-old, and I didn't like the path my life was on. I wanted to go to college, and I needed help. And SNAP was a big chunk of that for my daughter and I. I'm working. We're mm-hmm. going to school. I'm going to school. We've got these other issues. I got my bachelor's degree. I became a teacher. I worked a while. I've gotten a master's. I'm now an administrator in my in my school system, and I'm the success story that SNAP ought to get to. It wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been an option for her had – that not been available. That's right. Absolutely. So and, and there's more than just that, but, but but clearly SNAP was a big piece of that. Most Americans will support that outcome. Absolutely. Uh, and so what's that policy look like? So what we decided to do is like, let's find the policy that's good for America, good for the folks on, on SNAP, good for uh, the taxpayers and everything else. We're not talking about a lot of changes, if any, to uh, the frail elderly, uh, mentally, physically disabled, children. You know, that's not the folks we're talking to. Uh, the folks who have a job and are working, but they're still not making enough money to to get off the program. That's not who we're talking about. We're really talking about that other group out there that should be working, ought to be training to work or whatever. Right. Uh, so let, we're finding a policy. So then we'll have that policy scored as we refer to it in the inside the beltway nonsense, i.e. how much will it cost? And so we've done that, and sure enough, we could afford it. It fits within that budget-neutral number that I've gotten. Mm -hmm. And so the conversation we'll have with my colleagues who are really SNAP supporters and never want any changes to it will be based on policy. It won't be based on how much money is being spent here or there. It'll be saying, what's the best policy, and how should we make that that work? How can we address the waste, fraud, and abuse that that continues to be within the system where people misuse the the benefit package that's got there? But, But that's going to be the SNAP portion. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, – I'm, I'm excited about having that conversation as to what that policy should be. While we're on the subject of government-assisted food and things like that, um, there's been a lot of talk in the media lately about Donald Trump and his idea to replace food stamps with actual food or food cards with actual food. What is your stance well, on that? It was not replacing it. It was augmenting it with, you know, there was uh, bifurcating the benefit to have some aspect of it to be a, a, a you know, hard commodities-based deal. Right. You know, we're always looking at other ideas, new ideas, and all kind of stuff. I've got a great deal of respect for Sonny Perdue, who's the Secretary of Ag, and, and so we'll have some conversations. That never came up in any of the 21 hearings we had. It was nothing that anybody would suggest. Mm-hmm. It, it may sound good at, at the level, but you've got to work your way through. How do you implement it? How do you tailor that box of food to meet the, 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 the different you – know, we've got 16 Needs. million families mm-hmm. on it. So how do you tailor a box of food that, that meets what they need and all this kind of stuff? So it's a conversation we'll have, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's not going to be a, a, a big piece of this new farm bill, but it does warrant having I was that conversation. Just, I was just wondering because it has been something that's been circling on social media quite oh, sure. a bit lately. It is a hot topic. And, you, you know, uh, of course you have families that have allergies and kids that won't eat certain things. Absolutely. So it'd be pretty hard yeah. to make that happen. But what if you had sort of a website that 
people could shop at just like any other grocery store. However, they weren't getting money that they could spend at 7-Eleven or, right. or trade off yeah. for something else. And well, uh, We're, we're going to look at, at uh, delivery models, which uh-huh. is what you're talking about there. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are evolving. You know, Amazon will deliver a bucket of food, uh, maybe not here in Midland, but <laughs> they'll deliver a you know, pair of socks to your front door in about six hours. Yeah, so. Amazon, Walmart, H-E-B, <laughs> exactly. Market Street. So yeah. we're going to look at you know, all those delivery systems as a part of this to say, you know, we, we, we want people making good decisions. Mm-hmm. And the more decisions you make on somebody's behalf, the more crippled they become in their own decision-making process. Right. And so we want to incentivize good purchases. We want to like – so we're trying to, to augment or strengthen programs and say, look, if you buy fruits and vegetables with your uh, SNAP benefit, you get a little bit more money to buy more more you know, more fruits Incentives, and vegetables. Nice. You right. your, and incentive to, to, to make good decisions on behalf, their own behalf and behalf of their family. So, And we're going to look at all those delivery models. I don't know if we'll be as nimble as the overall innovation of delivery products. It, it will happen, but we're going to try to right. try to catch up as much as we can. It's a very fine line. I mean. It is, and, and it's taxpayer money uh, that's, uh, that's used to help folks. But if we're working a system that gets people on that ladder of success, up the ladder of success to the point that they no longer qualify for the program because they're making more money than the, than the program meets and they're on their own and they're making their own money, that's the, what we want. And I think most Americans support those kind of programs. And that's, that's where we're headed with SNAP. Paul Ryan wants to do the same thing with a much broader array of welfare programs, kind of like what they did in 96. I don't know if the Senate has the same kind of heart to do this, but but uh, this is an issue that Paul wants to do. And, and my the step changes that we're proposing will fold right in with, uh, with that uh, broader welfare work. Well, a lot of people want to know at what point is it the government's responsibility to impact how people live their lives and what decisions they make. And uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion that if – we're having to pay for it, then obviously we should get involved and teach these people how to maybe spend that money better. Well, we do. We we uh, we have SNAP ed programs that uh, that try to teach that, and like I said, incentive programs. There will be a conversation uh, either in committee or on the floor about SNAP choice. In other words, restrict certain things. We already restrict beer and cigarettes and you know that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. that's a given. Uh, but there are other folks who want to re- restrict, say, sugar drinks. Well, if you say no sugar drinks, that means no orange juice or cranberry juice, you know, those guys. Well, all right, well, how to draw that? So you try to draw the line as to what I.e. a definition of a sugar drink is. You want to be able to get these people through the grocery store line as quickly as they would otherwise get to so that that process works. And you don't want to embarrass them by, oh, no, you can't get that, whatever. Well, so incentivizing people to do the right thing uh, I think works better. But we will have a conversation about that, and there may, in fact, be some restrictions that uh, come out of this uh, well, and this is just from my personal experience. When I was younger, I've known people who were on food stamps, and it seems like we're giving them a lot more than what they need because it seems like every friend I had that was on food stamps like, hey, do you need groceries because we have way more here than we can spend? On top of that, you know, you're waiting in line at a 7-Eleven, and you have people just piling junk food up on the counter, and they go and they pay for it with the Lone Star card. And I'm talking yeah. tons of junk food for them, their kids, their friends' kids. And yeah. this is things I've seen personally. What about restricting the use of things like that at convenience stores? Well, um, that sounds great living here in Middle Texas because you've got HEB, you've got Albertsons or mm-hmm. Whole Foods, whatever the place. You've got a lot of options. Mm-hmm. But if you're living in Mason, Texas, mm, fair or, enough. Or uh, uh, Broad or Robert Lee, mm-hmm. that's, that convenience store may be the closest thing you've got to a grocery store. Uh, that's not 30, 40, 50 miles away to yep. make it. So, uh, you know, it's a hard, we, all, we all look at these things in our own personal experiences. And when you and I are living here in Midland, we have plenty of options. You don't have to shop at a, at a convenience store to mm-hmm. get those other things. But. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm looking at all of America with respect to this, and so 
Um, anyway, we'll have the conversation about choice and and, uh, and see where it goes. My personal opinion is I would rather I'd, I'd rather uh, augment and strengthen the, the incentives program, right? Because those works, you know, give people the incentive to buy uh, more of the things we want them to, and and uh, so. But we'll see how that conversation goes. All right. So. The hot topic of food stamps was definitely uh, – it's it's all over social media. But even more so, a subject that has been coming up has been gun control. Yes. So if you uh, don't mind maybe switching to that subject for just a second. Um, as a member of the MISD school board, uh, when was it? How long ago? I forget 85 now. to 88. Wow. Okay, so you, you're definitely familiar with the school environment as far sure. as that's concerned. So what do you think about the idea of teachers, obviously those who are uh, um, trained to sure. do so, carrying guns at, in schools? So the safety of a school is entirely, should be, entirely up to the people who live in that community, the school board, the parents, the administrators, whatever it is. So I'm for whatever they want to do to control access, to make, make their schools as safe as they can make them. Right. And so if that means they've, they've got folks that would qualify to do that, fantastic. But, but there are thousands and thousands of schools across this country, a one-size-fits-all edict from the federal government won't work right and so there's no one who who loves their children more than midlanders and there's no more more keenly interested in keeping them safe than their parents and the school board so whatever they need to do whatever infrastructure stuff they need to do and if they want to you know they want to hire folks to be that person they want to keep volunteers whatever they do every community ought to have the the latitude the flexibility to do whatever they need and they believe is in their own children's best interest for keeping them safe. So no you believe that's a more of a local decision? Absolutely. It's entirely local. local decision. Yeah. There's nothing in D.C. Uh, or Austin, quite frankly, that uh, uh, is uh, is more insightful into what Midland should do with everyone, each and every one of its schools, because those are all different as well. There's no one better prepared to do that than the Midland School Board or you know, whatever local community is. But, yeah, this one right. clearly should be a local responsibility, local decision-making, and, and local resources to uh, make it happen. Well, one thing, one thing that I don't agree with is the fact that uh, – you're right. It should Schools should be absolutely local. However, uh, if you look at property taxes here in Midland, they're very low. They're very low. But when you're – as a homeowner, I pay – out the wazoo. <laughs> and most of that is because Midland is charged a, basically a luxury tax for schools, and we're paying for schools in other areas, mm-hmm. yet we have horrible schools in Midland. My, my grandfather... Do you have children? I do. Okay, so you've got some experience with it. I, 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 mean, I, 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 I don't know that I would I'd just call them horrible schools. We have maybe some schools that are underperforming other things, but for, I don't know the use the word horrible. We do well, I, I think when you compare how much we're paying for yeah. schools and what we're getting, I think horrible is yeah, a yeah. fair so word. So the good news about this one... Is that's a local state issue, right? Yeah, it had nothing local. to do with the feds. Uh, that whole how we pay for Texas schools in Texas. So uh, maybe get your uh, state senate guys in here to have that conversation mm-hmm. about because uh, that's really where this is in Austin. You know, just conversation to have. Uh, I'm a I'm a property owner here in Midland, Texas as well. I'm paying those same property taxes and and particularly the school taxes. And it is frustrating. Uh, that uh, that we're a, uh, a uh, I don't know what they call it, a rich school. There's a phraseology for where we are in that right. pecking order, which means we have to give about. up money. Or if we try to raise our own taxes, we have to give half of it to to, uh, to that system at Robin Hood. So, so I agree with you at 100% that it's a terrible way to run it, but I don't have a... I don't have a dog in that fight. Fair enough. Directly Fair enough. in terms of what I'm doing. Our and kids so I've got, a lot, I've got enough... Um, Things to chew on in, in Washington, and, <laughs> got I, and I, I do not want to take on more responsibility. And I certainly don't want to take on things that Tom Craddock. No, you don't sound Kelsey busy Sullivan enough. Please. <laughs>
<laughs> and Brooks Landgraf and others. Those are good, good people, and and uh, and I know they're struggling for the uh, for the answers as well. So to close it on a more uh, a less touchy subject. No, don't you take this question from me. I want to ask it. I already oh, come know, on. I already come know where on. you're going. I wanted to ask this question. <laughs> We're big readers around here, so we really wanted to ask if you had a favorite all-time favorite book or a favorite book right now that you're reading. Take the Bible off the table. Actually, uh, we've had only Several. one other candidate mention the Bible, surprisingly. Well, that's, it. that's it. I mean, that's, that's your go to. I, I read it every day. <laughs> Try to. And, and if I, 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 they've got this you know, program you could go, it's, it sets out a year's worth of reading. Right. Gets you all the way through right. It. I've actually I've done that. And if I get behind, I catch up. So you know, I'm right now current. Um, <laughs> but uh, so take the Bible off the table. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I actually ask this when I do fundraisers and stuff in D.C., I actually ask this question to folks. You know, what's your what's your favorite book? What's your favorite movie? All that kind of stuff. But my favorite book, and it's actually that series, would be The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Really? I did I, not I, expect that answer. So I, you know, it's, just, it's right, wrong, it's good, it's bad, it's evil, and you know, it's just, and the good guys win in the end. So, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I've read it. Uh, I typically ask people what book you've read more than once, because, mm. uh, and I've read all four, The Hobbit as well as the, the trilogy. Uh, more than once. Well, yes, I probably... People are like, wow, you're spending too much time reading that stuff. But yes, I've read them. <laughs> All right, who's your three, favorite character, though? Ooh, that's uh, a good question. Uh, Aragon. 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 Yeah. Aragon. Aragon. Hmm. Of course. I, I did not. You, you threw me completely off <laughs> with that answer. That's so I, not what I expected. That is not what I expected. I've also, I've also read uh, Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tome. I mean, it's a monster tome. Now, definitely. Are, are you in general into you know the fantasy and and that kind of uh, that kind of books? Or? Well, I, I, I try to switch back and forth. You know, I I've got a lot of reading to do anyway. I've got a, <laughs> a six hundred page farm bill that I'm wading through this, trying to wade through this weekend. You know that kind of. So I I do a 600 lot. Six hundred pages over the weekend, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Six hundred pages. Is that all? Six forty. <laughs> and so, um, and then I've I've also got a book open right now, Churchill, um, that uh, that I'm reading. So I I kind of pretty wide spectrum of uh, of reading and so i'll have i'll have more than one book going i've got another book going on right now that's written by a, a cia operative operative that was among that group in in uh, afghanistan at nine you know nine eleven to to when uh, Kabul fell and when they took over so i got a wide spectrum i couldn't i couldn't right. read more than one book at once because then i'm going to get my facts straight and i'm going to somehow think that isis is somehow related to churchill and <laughs> <laughs> just wouldn't work out for me i got you. Uh, on that same note uh you have a lot of travel time i imagine from time to time you watch some netflix Are there any shows that you're currently binge watching um no, no, <laughs> no, just no. See, your no, question got a great got, answer. Mine wife, did not. Right? Yeah, Sorry, I got is, the good question. Is it The Crown? <gasps> oh, my mother loves The Crown. Yeah, The Crown. Suzanne is, is watching The Crown. And uh, <laughs> and then there was something called something Cove. Uh, oh, yes, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the Copper's name. Cove. Um, some cove thing was set in the in the north in the at the northeast. Anyway, I know she exactly what you're talking all about. Of that, yeah. all four or five seasons, but mm-hmm. I, and I just kind of catch as catch can whatever she's uh, she's got something going. But uh, right, it's uh, safe to say you're more of a reader than you are a watcher. He's got way too much to read. <laughs> I got a lot of stuff to read, and, and, uh, and honestly, I figured that since you do read so much as required with your job, yeah. I figured you'd want a break and you'd. <laughs> Look at something that just will come at you uh, like an edge. Confessing last night, the airplane I came in on from Dallas, from D.C. to Dallas, had a uh, had a TV set in it, Ooh. and so uh, had that on at the same time. So anyway, <laughs> there you go. Very uh, nice. I was showing the main issue, a Kirby enthusiasm or something was on, and that it's just you know it's it's a takeoff. The guy that did it did Seinfeld. 
It's the same kind of, you know. Just some background noise. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah you got to have a soundtrack well, to the book you're reading. Well, I decompress. So <laughs> I, t- I spend that six or seven hours it takes me to get home decompressing from the week. Mm-hmm. And then the, the going back up, I'm getting ready. Like Sunday night, I'll head back to D.C. Gearing up. And I'll spend that time frame getting ginned up for what i got to do next week. One last question. You're, you're a very busy man. You Like you said, you never seem very tired. So you have got to have some kind of secret relaxation technique. Exercise, good food. Wind down what technique. Is what is it you so, do? Uh, got a little Fitbit thing on. <laughs> and I'm like driven to get 10,000 steps and plus, uh, as well as more than 10 flights of stairs every day. Nice. And I walk real fast when I'm doing it, and just which drives some of my team crazy because they maybe <laughs> don't walk as fast as I do. And so that's it. And I, I, I have a set of golf clubs and low white balls and some golf shoes. What I do with those would never be called golf. <laughs> I love getting out, whacking it around. Uh, just, for. just for just for yeah, exactly. Um, there's. No evidence I've neglected my congressional responsibilities to work on my golf game. My, mm-hmm. the, my buddies that see me play on Saturday morning go, Connor, you're terrible. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, no. And I love, to, I love to play golf, and I'm just awful at it, but, but that's it. But, you still love it. But, it, but, it, but just I don't, I don't allocate enough time to go to the gym and, and have those kind of workouts. So I, you know, like Build you know, it into your three life. days this week, I had uh, 40 flights plus of stairs that I climbed just during the day, throughout the day. And then, uh, you know, 15,000, 17,000 steps. So I go to the gym and do eight on the stair stepper, and I'm, like, dying. I'm out of breath <laughs> just thinking about it. Jeez. <laughs> well, I have to admit, I, uh, I, was, uh, I, had, I led two of my team up the up three flights of stairs at the Ag Committee building yesterday, and they were dropping stuff so they could stop it because I was going up faster than they were. And these Hang guys on. are half my age. <laughs> Well, Congress, wow. Congressman Conway, uh, Conway, jeez. One more, t- one more time, one more time. Well, Congressman Conway. There you go. Nailed it. <laughs> we really appreciate you coming in. We know you're very busy, and uh, well, thank you so much. I don't know so here, but there's an election going on right now, and, mm-hmm. and uh, people need to get out and vote. Um, it's important uh, responsibility we have as citizens to, to ask to, to select leadership. Um, you know, there's always this, this complaint about low voter turnout or folks that don't mm-hmm. vote. I take this look at it. What I believe is that the folks who choose to go vote basically vote on behalf of all those people who don't vote. Mm-hmm. Those folks who don't vote basically, basically say, all right, Conway, here's my proxy. Uh, you guys get it right. Because I don't right. want people going into the ballot box and just willy-nilly marking a ballot. I want them in there voting for or against somebody, for or against whatever's going on. Intentional. So if they're informed voters and, and they're, they know who they want to vote for, uh, please go vote as, uh, as a part of this process. Because we've got to, you know, primaries, uh, got early voting tomorrow. As well, whenever this on Friday, then the mm-hmm. election on the yes, sixth, and so uh, whenever the uh, whenever this airs, just you know, folks, uh, go vote. Thank you very much. This program was a production of the Recording Library of West Texas and is also available at recordinglibrary.org. dot